This is the Ned Group Investments Podcast, a space where you can learn more about our fund managers, the funds they manage, as well as getting up-to-date and important developments affecting the investment world and how they might be relevant to you. South African equity markets have been one of the standout performers in global investment markets this year. And the question we now have and we hope to address today is whether this will last and is there still value in SA equity markets beyond the resource stocks that have driven the performance of late. My name is Doug Nickel. I'm an investment analyst here at Ned Group Investments. And today I'm joined by Murray Winkler and Dwayne Dipinar, who are both portfolio managers at Lorium, who manage our South African equity fund. Today, we're going to be taking you through a global and local macro overview. And then Dwayne is going to take quite a in-depth dive into where he's seeing value and investment themes emerge in local equity markets. But before I begin, um, there have been quite a few changes in our SA equity range. And I would just like to take you through how that has come about. In late 2018, Ned Group Investments looked at our equity range and we asked the question, is this range future fit for investors' needs and requirements? And are the mandates appropriate for, in order to deliver optimal performance for investors going forward? And we effectively looked at four core pillars in this research progress. We looked at the demands and the trends both globally and offshore for equity funds. We looked at the structure of the local market and what was available to investors. And then we looked at the environment where managers had to construct portfolios and looked specifically at the all-sea index. And once we'd established those three issues, we then looked at what makes an ideal equity manager in this environment. And the conclusions that we came to was that we needed to reduce and concentrate the set of funds that we had in our range. And we now have an established three funds in our equity range. The first one being the Ned Group Investments Entrepreneur Fund. And this fund looks to take advantage of the value premium that is available in small and mid-cap space. And then for our Ned Group Investments Rainmaker Fund, which is our largest equity fund, we added an offshore component. But really the fund that we are wanting to profile and highlight today is our recently launched Ned Group Investments SA Equity Fund. And this fund is an unconstrained SA equity building block that investors can use. And what this fund aims to do is it's looking particularly to outperform the FTSE JSE cap swicks. It's only invested in South African index. It has no offshore holdings. And again, this is a product that you can use as a building block in your diversified portfolio. The investment manager who we appointed to run this is Lorium Capital. And they've been running an SA equity mandate for the last seven years. And they've agreed to partner with us to continue to manage their strategy under the Ned Group Investments SA equity fund. So why Lorium? What we believe Lorium really offers is quite unique. They take the traditional fundamental analysis of a company where they look to understand the intrinsic value of a company. And they overlay this with a macroeconomic overview And they also look to take advantage of special situations that can occur from time to time. And a lot of these situations come about because of the extensive network that the team have built up over the year. 
And this team, we now believe, is one of the strongest equity teams in South African equity markets, which has only been bolstered by the addition of two Tantalum PMs over the last few years. This strategy is also nimble, which again we see as being a key advantage in local markets, where they are able to invest right across the SA equity universe, whereas some of the larger equity houses in South Africa are sometimes constrained in terms of where they can invest. What we also really liked about Lorium was the fact that this is an investment house. They're purely focused on managing money. And SA equity is a core competency that Lorium bring to the table. So I'm really delighted for Murray and Dwayne to take you through, as I said, the global and local macro outlook that they're seeing. And then Dwayne's going to take you through more of, a, of an in-depth review of where he's seeing value and theme, investment themes emerge in local markets. So Murray, I'm going to hand over to you now. Thanks again for joining us, and we look forward to hearing what you have to tell us. Thanks, Doug, and good morning, everyone. I'm going to set the scene, having a look at this sort of from a macro point of view on the global and local side. Lorium is fundamental, bottom-up is the core, what we do. Each company we look at, we'll do the business assessment, the financial assessment of the company, and then have come out with a valuation. But we do have a macro overlay. So I'm going to focus a bit on that, what our thinking is around that. One year out from now, what do we think is going to happen? Firstly, if we, if we have a look at global growth, the cyclical recovery is very much intact. Massive monetary and fiscal stimulus is still in place. And we expect global growth to end up around 6% this year and to continue into next year, somewhere around 4%. So that's very positive for the globe. South Africa, our growth rate for 21, we've had since the beginning of the year bounce back to 3.5%. Now, we haven't had as much fiscal stimulus. Even we have had monetary stimulus. But the way things are going with, with some of the commodity prices, and we'll look at a few of these things, we could, this three and a half could be on the light side. So we could possibly get up to four and a half, but then we think we drop back down to 2% next year because of a lot of structural impediments. U.S. interest rates, the 10-year yield is very important out there for markets. Currently, well, it's down at the moment, just closer to 1.5%, strengthened a bit. But our view by the end of the year, one year out, we get to about 2%. People are worried that the speed of movement could hurt markets. But our view on that, at around 2%, there's no problem. Even at two and a quarter, we think that markets can probably grind higher and not take too much of a hiccup on that. Short rates, we have one rate hike in the first half of next year, so prime going to 725. On the bond side, since the beginning of the year, we've had a view, the 10-year SA bond around 9%. It's pretty close to that figure at the moment. And with what's going on, it could get a bit stronger in the shorter term. Currency, always very difficult to call, but our view on the currency, 1475, 12 months out from now. But again, it's possible we could in the short term remain a bit stronger for longer with the cyclical rebound that we're actually seeing at the moment. Moving to a couple of on the global things, putting in context this fiscal stimulus and actually what is going on there and putting it in numbers. So what we show, this is from BCA, and it shows the fiscal stimulus as a percentage of GDP. The green bars over here show the figures as of 2008, how much stimulus was put in place then. And you can see the U.S. was around 5%, Japan 5%. So broadly, countries had fiscal stimulus 5% of GDP in the financial crisis. Then we look at the black lines, and we can see the black bars. 
Um, the U.S. last year had stimulus of 13% or so, and probably around 10% for developed markets is what happened. So it was huge stimulus, which obviously got markets rebounding. But the big thing is, since the Democrats got in, we've had the gray bar here, a further 13% stimulus that has happened this year. Now, this is monstrous. So you've had 25% of GDP being pushed into the market in addition to monetary stimulus. So this is why we think the US is likely to be very strong right through comfortably into next year and possibly even the year thereafter. On the monetary side, monetary stimulus, what we have on the right-hand side is the US 10-year real yield. And currently at around 75 basis points over here, you can see the last two years negative real rates Whereas the previous, if you look the previous five years or so, we'd been positive close to 1%. So negative real rates, very positive for markets. The big risks, as we know, is what about inflation? So what we show on this chart is the US break-even inflation, predicted inflation. That's a left-hand scale. And what we have there is the projections that inflation gets to about 2.5% or so. That's what sort of consensus is at the moment, or the market predictions, what we think will happen. So how is this fiscal and monetary stimulus played out? What we show over here is the forecast for U.S. GDP growth. The top line goes back to where we were at 2020. Feb, at that stage, thinking the numbers for 2021 were going to be about 2%, revisions upwards. And then you can see from February this year, this big increase up here, gone from 4% up to 6.5%. And that's really this additional stimulus that is there. The middle line shows the forecast for GDP growth in 2022. And you can also see since February how there's been an additional 1% push through from this. So you've had 3.5% additional growth expected in the US for the next couple of years, which is driving very strong numbers. The big risks out there is inflation. Everyone's talking about it. Very difficult to call. This is the expectations per UBS, what they think will happen to core inflation. They're sort of 4.7. We've just seen the latest number, just around 5. And then coming back down to 2.5%, under 2.5%, basically 12, 18 months out. And the same applies to core inflation. And interesting, on short rates, if you follow the Fed's dot plot, where the 19 voting members of the FOMC, their last votes they did sort of a month ago, the consensus is short rates will not be hiked until 2024. Now, we think it's going to be brought forward probably a year, but that's what they have been saying. So the backdrop for markets remains pretty good. If we look at Q1 earnings, so this is quite a busy slide. It shows the 11 sector groups for the S&P, and it shows the sales surprises for Q1. And you can see that sort of 70% of companies surprised on the up. Basically, sales that came through for the top 500 stocks in the S&P beat expectations by 4%. But more importantly, if you shift to the right, what happened to earnings? So on the earnings, there was 90% of companies beat earnings analysts' expectations on earnings. And the percentage beat on earnings was 23%. So extremely strong. Now, that rate of beat will probably slow as we go through the year. But our view is we're still likely to see the next couple of quarters, earnings are continuing to surprise, which will keep markets at a pretty decent level. So very strong backdrop globally, what is going on at the moment. So then we move on to the local side. Now, South Africa obviously has had quite an issue, structural problems uh, for the last, I guess, six, seven years. 
The blue light on the left-hand chart here, the blue line just shows our progression of GDP, what we were expected to be. And the green line shows what happened with COVID and what our GDP forecasts are going forward. It's probably going to take 23, 24 till we get to the same levels. So if you look at our GDP growth pre-COVID, the last five years, we grew under 1%. So structural growth was extremely low. And then we had COVID, we went down 7%, and we will bounce back this year, maybe if we're lucky, 4.5%, and then maybe 2 2.5%, and we could get back to a similar level. But there are some big structural impediments from that, and we'll look at that further on. On the right-hand side, we base the different sectors in the economy back to the 2019 level, and we show how they're performing relative. Right at the top is agriculture. So agriculture is 20% above. So if you look what's going on in maize, citrus, avos, we are having a phenomenal agri season. So we, we're going to be about 20% above the 2019 figures. Very strong. Uh, Mining is also doing extremely well. But down at the bottom, electricity, transport, tourism, all really still struggling. On the fiscal side, what we show here is debt to GDP and the projections that we were going, this was at the 2020 medium-term budget, going to 95. Now, we've been given a gift from the global recovery because commodities are doing so well, and we are actually getting phenomenally good prices for our resources. And as a result of that, our current account is in a very good space, big surplus. We'll have a look at that. And our budget deficit is probably going to be smaller than we think. And government has come in and revised the numbers downwards. And so now we're looking probably below 90% peak in debt to GDP. The right-hand side just shows the red line is our expenditure, sorry. And you can see how it peaked up there and it's coming down. And our revenues on the bottom side here. And basically, this is all pre-interest expenditure. So we're not even a balanced budget yet. And before our interest expense, and interest expense is probably 20% of our budget. But this is the good news, is the commodity prices. So this is going back to 2006, the CRB index, which is um, a blend of different commodities. And you can see what has happened, that we have bounced up quite significantly from the low levels in 2020, some 60% up, almost to as high as the levels we were um, 2011. So this is very strong. And particularly for South Africa is the platinum metals. So the platinum complex, if we look at the rebound there, and that's our biggest export at the moment, we have got palladium, which in the last five years is up more than 30-fold and is now of the platinum companies more than 50% of their revenues. So hugely positive on that front. So what does this all mean for our current account? So we've gone back and, and, and put current account as a percentage of GDP back through to 1960. So... And if you look over time, you can see the last 15 years, we've run a current account deficit in South Africa of an average 4% or so. So that's, that's where we've been, very seldom to get to surplus. The figure we show here is on a quarterly basis, 3%, and we've just had the latest quarter that has gone up to 5%. Now, we think for the full year, we're going to end up with a, with a current account surplus of around 3%. And that will mean you have to go back to literally... 1987 to get to a situation where when it was similar. So it is amazing how strong our exports are at the moment. The prices we're getting, the commodity trade account is about plus nine or ten percent positive. And when you deduct off the finances and the interest payments from dividends and finances, 
you get down to the current account, which is a very strong level. So that is very positive for South Africa. And that's one of the reasons why this, our RAND is holding up pretty well. So these commodities, very good. Our current account is in surplus and our budget deficit is going to be probably smaller than what people were thinking. Just elaborating a little bit on that, on the revenue collections, which is surprising on the upside. If you go back to the October medium-term budget, the expectations were we would be a shortfall of 300 million, 313 million. And what it ended up being is around 175. And for this year, things look a lot better. So what has happened in the bond markets, which is very bullish for obviously the 10-year long bond yield, which you use as a sort of a discount rate, you put the equity risk premium on top. Last year, we were having weekly auctions in the bond market were 10 billion issuance. That has just been the latest. We've just been revised down by Treasury down to 6 billion. So it is hugely positive. The supply of bonds on this market is a lot less. So we've got in South Africa at the moment quite a decent situation. Uh, a lot of people have been very negative on South Africa. The structural issues are still very much in place. But particularly at the moment, we think that we're going to have continue to see probably earning surprises on domestic counters. South Africa has done pretty well. Uh, we are up in dollar terms over to about 23% in dollars is the SA market is up for the year. And you compare that the, to the MSCI world, which is about 11, 12% in dollars. So everything looks pretty good at the moment. Structural reforms are really what need to come through in the next 12 months. We are positive to see what has happened on the um, electricity side this last week. Very positive that one megawatt up to 100 megawatts is what's been allowed for corporates. That's going to give certainty. So that is a very big positive for fixed investment spend. So pretty good. And we are positioned. We do believe the cyclical recovery is in place. I'm going to hand over to Dwayne now, who is going to take you through the, the portfolio and look at some of the positioning of our stocks and look at that in detail. Thanks for that, Murray. I'm not Dwayne just yet, everyone. I'm sorry to disappoint you. Uh, Murray, that's great. I think Murray's really just painted a, a picture of the supportive uh, fiscal and monetary environment that South Africa now has found itself in. And I guess with the huge infrastructure spend that is coming online with development banks or with uh, in developed nations, that's been a significant tailwind um, for commodities in South Africa. And hopefully this is now painting, well, this is painting a much rosier picture for, for SA equities. And Dwayne's going to now take you through uh, where he's starting to see value, signs of value in South African equity markets. Over to you, Dwayne. Thanks, Doug, and good morning to everyone on the webinar. Maybe um, I'm gonna, we're going to try and cover what we think are some of the gems in the South African market. Firstly, I'm going to take you through where we think attractive opportunities are in the market. Just to set a scene before we dive into detail, let's just look at where we think source of return in our portfolio can come from. Firstly, on the global consumer side, British American tobacco, we've got a large position in stock. We still think the stock looks extremely attractive. It's trading on an 8% yield in pounds and an 8 PE. And we think that it's going to degear pretty quickly, it generates very good free cash flow, and can start doing share buybacks at the end of this year, which would be very positive for the stock. We then move to NASPAS, a very large stock. It's a large stock in our fund and a large stock in our market. I mean, here the investment thesis is really still driven by Tencent. Trading it below a 24 multiple, we still think earnings can grow over the next few years at over 20%, and there's got a lot of opportunity for revenue growth. On top of that, you're buying NASPAS at a 50% discount. 
So we still think that's a cornerstone now of our portfolio and looks very attractive. On more SA Inc. sort of side, healthcare stocks, we think they look very attractive at the moment. They've gone through a tough period during COVID. They're trading on very, very low multiples, and we think they'll recover quite nicely post-COVID. Now, managing the second and particularly the third wave better than the first wave, which is positive for them. We'll dive into a little more detail a little later. On the SA financial side, we went into back end of last year with a very large position in banks. That worked out very nicely as they've rallied. I said that the margin of safety on the banks is closed and they've got close to our, our intrinsic value. We switched into insurers, which we think look very attractive at the moment. You know, dive into a little more detail on the insurers a little later. When it comes to resources, we still have large positions in platinums and the diversified resources. Platinums, as Murray mentioned, are trading on very high free cash flow yields at spot. We're talking over 20%. And we think if you look at the supply-demand dynamic in platinums, platinum group metal prices are well-supported in the medium term. And the diversifieds also trading in high teen free cash flow yields, so still very attractive and very well-supported by global growth. There we are a little more cautious around certain commodities, things like iron ore. 80% of the seaborne iron ore market goes into China, and we're worried about a slight slowdown in China in the second half. So watching that space very closely. We look at just how our portfolio is positioned at the moment, and we think nicely diversified and very well positioned to take advantage of these attractive opportunities. Firstly, a large position in global consumer, that would mainly be our NASPAS and British American tobacco positions. A relatively large position in banks. This position was much larger towards the back end of the last year, and we've been trimming that position slowly as the banks have rallied. But still, we still see attractive opportunities in that bank space in South Africa. We look at the resources space, about 11% in diversified miners and about 11% in the platinum PGM miners. Both spaces we still think look attractive and um, continue to hold reasonable positions in these sectors. We slowly built up quite a large position in insurance. We'll talk to that later. We think this looks very attractive and there's a large margin of safety on these stocks at the moment. We've also built up a position and continue to build a position in healthcare stocks. And we're going to speak to them later. We think this, once again, will produce very good returns for investors going forward. And then just another position to mention is a 5% position in gold. But yeah, we think this is a nice portfolio diversifier and a bit of portfolio insurance and a hedge against inflation if that were to come through um, into the future. If we just look at the SA healthcare space, this first graph on the bottom left, shows a graph shown by Netcare, a South African healthcare stock, so all their hospitals are exposed to South Africa. You can see the acute hospital patient days over here before COVID. These days then dropped off during the first lockdown, you can see, and that basically meant the hospitals were relatively empty as hospitals made beds available for COVID patients, but no one came through. You can see then this Bottom blue line is the COVID patients picking up in the hospital. So that picks up. So the hospitals fold up slightly. If we just move to the right-hand side chart, we can see hospitals were very worried about the amount of COVID patients that were going to come through at first during the first wave. And so made 80% of their bed capacity available for COVID patients. But this red or bottom line on the chart shows that most of that capacity wasn't actually filled up by COVID patients. And that's the hospitals sat with a lot of empty capacity, and this really affected their earnings. The hospital groups have got a large fixed cost base, 
And that's there's a large um, effect if you you've got empty capacity in the hospitals from an operating and leverage point of view. If we then move on through past the second wave on the left-hand graph, we can see that the acute patient days pick up in the hospital, which is positive for them. We see the second wave come through and the COVID patients once again pick up. If we move back to the right-hand side graph, we see that this time the hospital groups only set aside 60% of their capacity for COVID patients, and a lot of that was filled. So this really helped the hospitals from a capacity utilization point of view, and so we saw their earnings recover quite nicely. We move back to the right-hand side graph. We can see the, the acute patient days, the gray line, once again picking up and normalizing post the second wave. And so hospitals are once again filling up as elective surgeries come back. And this is obviously very, very positive for their earnings going forward. So hospitals definitely getting smarter in the way they manage the pandemic. And we'd expect the same in the third wave that we're seeing now. If we just look at the right, the left-hand side graph on this slide, you can see this is a graph that basically shows the bottom red line is a reported confirmed COVID-19 death. We can see the first wave just after July and then the second wave in January of this year. Overlaid across that is the excess deaths reported in South Africa. And what this shows us is that the excess deaths is very closely correlated to the COVID waves. And thus, there's obviously a lot of COVID deaths that aren't being reported, we think. This also ties into what Discovery has told us, that they think 62% of South Africans have already had COVID. The South African National Blood Service in January this year said 52% of the blood they tested in this year showed COVID antibodies. Thus, we think while the third wave could be bad, it should not be as bad as the first or the second wave because of this. On top of this, we can see on the right-hand side chart that in the first wave or first lockdown early April 2020, you can see the hospitals that year-on-year acute patient days what was 50% of the previous year acute patient days. So it dropped dramatically. The hospital utilization dropped dramatically. And we can see how over the year and into 2021, this is now picked up to be 90% year over year. So the hospital's utilization definitely picking up nicely. And because of this, we think hospital groups will get back to their pre-COVID-19 levels of earnings within the next 12 to 24 months. If you overlay their valuation on top of that, on seven to eight EV EBITDAs, which is very cheap compared to their historic trading ranges and where peers globally trade, we think there's very attractive opportunities in this space in South Africa at the moment. If we just look at the SA insurance space, right now we've got a momentum on the left here and we've got liberty on the right. And these charts are basically showing where these share prices or the companies are trading to their group equity to embedded values. So you can see both of them trading at quite large discounts to their history of group equity to embedded values, so definitely looking very cheap. On top of that, we've seen client numbers and asset levels remained very robust at the different insurers, and this obviously determines future cash flows. So we've got a very good feeling for the, the back books of these insurers, and thus we've got a very good feeling and there's low forecast risk on the future cash flows, which is fantastic. All these insurers also have maintained very high capital and liquidity levels, and thus have very strong balance sheets so they can get through this COVID period and have provided quite substantially for mortality and um, persistency, even though mortality with the third wave, they might have provided slightly more. From a persistency perspective, we think they've over-provided and thus very comfortable with the insurer's balance sheets. Just to take one insurer, if we look at Liberty, we think that the market over time 
is underestimate the dividend payout potential from the SA Life business of Liberty. In the last five years, the company has managed to upstream over 100% of its earnings. You can see that in the bottom left graph here, where the light green is the SA Life dividends. They've declared up to group and SA Life earnings, and you can see the dividends has been stronger than what the earnings of the company has been. Going forward, we still expect very strong dividends from these companies and very stable free cash flows. The company right now is generating over 2.4 billion rands worth of cash on a market cap of 18 billion rand. That's over 13% free cash flow yield just from the SA Life business. We think that looks very attractive. And we've also seen all the insurers weather the, the COVID storm pretty well. And thus, we know that their balance sheets have been very well capitalized. On top of that, we think there's very attractive growth opportunities in many of the insurers and from a global perspective. If we look at Sunlum and Momentum, both of them have exposure to the Indian health market. If we look at this bottom graph over here, we can see how quickly the Indian health market is growing. Private sector general insurance premiums are growing at over 30% year on year. And we think this can be uh, extra upside from both Sunlum and Momentum perspective on their global operations. Just to summarize, so firstly, we think the global fiscal and monetary stimulus remains very supportive of global markets. We think strong global growth is positive for emerging markets and risk assets. And this would include many SA Inc. focused stocks and the SA listed market. In South Africa, we've seen slow but steady structural change, and we expect more of this change to come. We're definitely finding great opportunities in the local market from a valuation perspective. The major threat that we're watching at the moment would be global inflation, and we're keeping a close eye on that. And while we're finding great opportunities in the South African market from a valuation perspective, for us to become more bullish over the long term, we would want to see more SA structural growth. We've got a nice cyclical tailwind at the moment, but if we can get permanent structural growth going forward, we think the South African bull market could last for a lot longer and we could see great GDP growth in South Africa. So we wait to wait and watch closely further structural growth in South Africa. On that note, I'm going to hand back to Doug. Thanks. Thanks very much, Dwayne and Marie, for those presentations. It is um, great to hear your insights and take us through, I guess, a whirlwind tour of both macro levels on a global basis and local basis. And for Dwayne then to just look at a couple of themes um, that he thinks will be delivering uh, substantial value to investors in South African markets. Uh, we are going to take this opportunity now to go into a time of Q&A. I've prepared a few questions which I've received from various uh, investors and, and client interactions. And they will center pretty much around what we've discussed. Um, I think from listening to the guys talk, there's there seems to be three broad opportunities in South African markets. And I, I guess the first one is commodities. The second one being a cyclical recovery in global and local markets. But then there's another interesting opportunity, which I'll also touch on in the portfolio. So, Dwayne, you mentioned a cyclical recovery quite a few times in your presentation. And what we saw globally was that banks, particularly in the US, um, really recovered quite strongly as vaccines were rolled out and economies recovered. Are you guys seeing a similar trend playing out in South African banks? And are you starting to become more constructive there? Thanks, Doug. We, look, we've been constructive in South African banks for a while. I mean, during the depths of the crisis, that really we just thought the valuations got way too cheap. 
South African banks are well run and we thought they were well provided and a strong balance sheet so it could weather COVID. Subsequent to that, we have actually seen a cyclical recovery from the banks. All the banks that are reported recently, we've seen a big unwinding of their, their provisions. I mean, provisions peaked during COVID periods over 200 base points, whereas through the cycle for our banks, it's sort of 80 to 100 base points. So obviously provided a lot and it's been surprising the bank management teams as well on the upside. So we've seen those provisions unwind. On top of that, even though the banks have rallied, their valuations still look relatively attractive. And that's why you'll see we still have about 11% of our fund invested in selected counters over there, which we think will generate very good returns going forward. On top of that, because they've got such strong balance sheets and with the, the provisions unwinding quicker than people expect, we think they'll pay a handsome dividends to investors going forward as well. And so we're likely to see increased allocation to that side of the market. And are there any particular banks that you favor or see as being stronger than the others? So with regards to increasing allocation, we slowly, as the banks have rallied and got closer to what we think is intrinsic value, we've selectively started selling out of some of those counters and putting into what we think are more attractive opportunities in South Africa, for instance, the insurance sector, I mean, within the banking space, our preferred counters at the moment would be probably EFSA and Standard Bank. And just then it's basically driven by valuation from on both of those counters. The other question, Murray, I think you can answer this one, is on the commodity boom. A lot of tension has been focused on the growth in, in commodity prices and how this has been driven by strong tailwinds, both coming from China and with developed nations increasing the infrastructure spend. But... Commodity shares have a lot of momentum. A lot of them are priced off what commodity prices are. And when commodity prices fall, um, those share prices earnings can, can take quite a significant hit. And one of the questions that I haven't necessarily seen being asked is, are there any risks to this commodity boom that you guys are, are looking at or, or aware of that investors on this call should consider? Yes, Doug, there are a lot of risks. And the old adage goes that you buy commodity prices when P multiples are high, when the earnings have collapsed, and you sell them when the, they're very strong earnings. There is a lot of debate out there. A couple of commentators have come through saying this is a super cycle for commodities now because there's no new supply coming on in quite a lot of the metals out there. I mean, our view is very much it's, this is a cyclical recovery we're seeing at the moment. The risks are out there, um, clearly, as you mentioned, China. I mean, if you look at commodities into China, I mean, probably 50 to 80% of the consumption actually comes out of China. If you look at iron or copper, particularly, which, which are two big ones out there. Platinum, for instance, platinum, palladium, they probably do 25%, a lot less. So if we look out there at the moment, everyone's been expecting iron ore to come down, it's still up above $200. Uh, interesting that if you look at BHP, Billiton, Rio, their cost of production, all in cost of production is $30. So the margins they're making, they are 85%, 85% operating margin in these products. And if you look across the 90th percentile in iron ore, sits at probably about $60, $65. So everyone's expecting iron ore to come back down to around the 60s, but that's been a view for a long time. If you look at the prices out there, of some of the shares. I mean, you can buy Billiton now on a free cash flow yield of about 18%. Now, that's unbelievable because iron ore is going to probably be 80% of the earnings. So the markets are discounting that a lot of these prices are coming off, particularly in iron ore. But each month it stays up there, the cash is just being generated. 
And platinum is quite a decent one as well in terms of supply. So there's no new supply coming on um, from platinum group metals. So that looks like the prices could be sustained, maybe not at these levels for a lot longer, which is quite positive for South Africa. So we are very, we are very wary of that. The market is discounting a lot of this, but the earnings surprises are probably still going to continue to people have to revise upwards and there's still momentum in the cycle. So we have a decent, we've probably got about 11, 12% in platinums and diversified miners, as Dwayne mentioned, I mean, I think we've also got sort of 10% or so. So we think that the momentum still remains for a while. It's not a fundamental long-term view out there, but we think there's still at least the next six to 12 months, we probably do okay. But very wary of the risks not to go, be very selective in which ones we're choosing. Thanks, Murray. Dwayne, another question that I was quite interested to ask you is Aspen is in the Neg Group Investments SA Equity Fund. And the big question now is, I, I guess they've been tasked by Johnson Johnson to manufacture the J&J vaccine. And we have heard that this has been put on pause by the US FDA due to some manufacturing faults. Was Aspen to blame, first of all? And how long do you think it would take for Aspen to recover this lost production? And are you seeing what are the main kind of investment thesis around around your investment in, in Aspen? So firstly, with regards to whether Aspen is to blame, it seems that they're definitely not to blame. So Johnson Johnson had an API and supplier called Emergent in the States that supplied the APIs that Aspen then used in their factory here in South Africa to produce the vaccines. And it was produced by emergent in conditions that American authorities thought were not conducive to a good vaccine or a healthy environment. Because of that, Aspen manufactured the doses. It's definitely not their fault. So their financial impact will be limited. Unfortunately, it does mean the 2 million doses will have to be destroyed. That being said, Johnson Johnson has first committed to, in the next few days, providing South Africa with 300,000 doses for all our uh, teachers, which is great. And then in two weeks' time, they've said another 2 million doses. So that will replace all the doses that have to be destroyed. And then Aspen's come out and said they can start supplying South Africa by July this year. So they're obviously ramping up. And they've got a second API supplier in the Netherlands, which is supplying them the, the ingredients needed. So they'll be able to ramp up pretty quickly again. So no financial impact for Aspen from that perspective. If you look at the investment thesis around Aspen, obviously the current environment is very conducive for them and their ability to produce vaccines. And they've got a lot of manufacturing capacity that's lying idle at the moment. So we think, firstly, their, their ability to manufacture, let's call it 300 million odd doses um, of vaccine for J&J at the moment will fill some of that idle capacity. And then they have further capacity over and above that that they'll be able to fill, we think, over the next, let's say, year to two, which once again, you'll see a lot of operating leverage come from that, and that should drive the earnings. On top of that, it's trading at below 8 EV EBITDA, which is, once again, very cheap compared to pharmaceutical peers, which have been ramped up quite dramatically because of COVID, never mind that very cheap compared to its historic range. And its balance sheet, you know, that restructured the balance sheet and the balance sheet is looking relatively healthy at the moment. So we think it's looking very attractive from a valuation and growth and earnings perspective going forward. Great. That's all we have time for today, everyone. Thank you again for joining us. And thanks again to uh, Murray and Dwayne for sharing their thoughts. 
Again, if you do have any further questions and want to inquire more about the Net Group Investments SA Equity Fund, please do feel free to contact your relationship consultant. Thank you for joining us. And I would just like to take your attention to please provide your feedback via the QR code that has now appeared on your screen. But until the next webinar, we look forward to, to hosting you again. And we hope that you found today interesting and insightful. Netgroup Collective Investments is an authorised collective investment scheme manager in terms of the Collective Investment Schemes Control Act. Netgroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit netgroupinvestments.co.za.